Let's read the text before us to begin, and that's John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. Let's read. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I... I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. So, see, you've been made well, sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. Therefore, he had done these things, or because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. The passage before us is, is just a... Um, it's written in such a way that it's, there's just this incredible picture for us of what's taking place. There's this feast of um, the Jews, and Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. And now there in Jerusalem, there's this sheep gate um, that, that, that right near it is a pool, which is called Bethesda, and it has five porches. It's interesting when you, when you look at this and you, you, you see those that, that study Scripture and try to look and say, well, where would have this taken place? Well, what does it mean? There were, for many years, people who said... Um, this gospel account must have been written far after or um, there's no evidence at all of this particular pool or there's no evidence at all of, of what it's talking about here. And yet um, archaeologists in, 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 in recent history found this particular place, um, found this, this area in which there were these columns that were there. And it says that there's, there's five particular porches. And you might think, how could there be five porches around a pool? You know, you think a pool to be rectangular or, 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 or square. And in this particular case, it was two pools that were side by side. And, and so there was uh, an arch on, on each side, the four, and then one splitting them in the middle that they found. And so you have this particular location, that has been found. It refers to this the sheep gate, and it's interesting when you look in Scripture, you see things that are mentioned, and it seems like it's just mentioned in, in passing as far as, well, this is the location. It was by the sheep gate. But when you start looking at Scripture as a whole, you start looking at it and seeing that there's a plan to all these things. The, the sheep gate's mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3 in verse 1, and, and in this particular area of the Old Testament, it, it's talking about the rebuilding of the walls that are there in Jerusalem and, and how um, these walls were built at that time when Israel was, was, was returning from the Babylonian captivity. 
And there's ten, there's ten gates that are mentioned there. The first one being the sheep gate. Sheep gate is, is that gate which the sacrificial animals were brought in. And so they would go through that particular gate. See here that it's at this same area in which that sacrificial animal that, that would come in that would represent Christ and represent him going to the cross is the same place in which Jesus comes to meet this particular man. We look here and, and we see that it tells us in, in verse 3 that there's this great multitude of sick people that are there. Blind, lame, paralyzed. And they're waiting for the movement of, of, of water. It's a, it's a hard-riching picture when, when you think of it. Here's these, these two pools that are there. Um, arches that are there that would hopefully provide some shade for the people. But there's all of, of these people, multitudes, this great multitude, and it's all of the sick people who are there. The sick people are, are there, and there's those that, that are blind, those that are lame, those that are paralyzed, whether it be a withered hand or whatever it is, and they're all just waiting. They're waiting. In, in some of your Bibles, the, the next particular verse may or, or, or may not be there in its entirety, but it says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Um, the reason why that particular text is in some versions of the Bible and not in others is that in some of the earliest manuscripts, and most of the, the, the earliest manuscripts, that verse is not included. And so it's thought that, that it became a part of, of other versions later on, other manuscripts later on, because somebody would have written that in the margin, and, and later on it got added. But what we find regardless is that there's, in history, um, early writings, even in the first two centuries of, of the church, there's a record of, of this particular account. There's pictures that are, have been done of angels stirring up the water that, that they found in archaeology. And so what you, what you find here is, is um, there's times in Scripture where you'll see versions that are different. And usually it refers to whether or not it's in the earlier versions and, and how they determine those things. It doesn't change the trustworthiness of the Bible. You'll find that in those small occurrences where you wonder, like, okay, how is it that, that this is in some manuscripts but not in others? Usually you can go down and look at the manuscripts that are given and see when it changed, at what point, at, in what centuries, or what, what, what years they, they, they took a, maybe a note in the margin and started adding it in. And it's only a few occasions that that, that occurs, and it's nothing that's of incredible significance to the Christian faith, but... I want you to understand why, if you're looking at your Bible, that's not there, and it is in others. Regardless of whether it's in your version or not, this is what people thought. This is what the tradition was. The tradition was that people could go to this, these particular pools, and as they were there, when the water stirred up, if they would be those first one in, that they'd be healed. And so you look at this scene, and... It's just sad to imagine. All kinds of people, multitudes, a great multitude of people. And they're there and they're just waiting. Some are blind, some are paralyzed, sick. And you see here that they're waiting. It's, it, 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 it is such an incredible picture of just mankind in general. You think of, of, of mankind and, and, and the state of man, the state of Israel, as well as the state of all men. And they're blind. They're, they're blind to the things of God. God refers to us as, as, as blind frequently in Scripture. They, they have eyes, but they cannot see. They're there, and, and, and they're lame. They're paralyzed. They have no power in themselves to do anything as far as earning their salvation. We're, we're, we're in a place of, of, of being such that we're, we're unable to, to make it so that we can spend eternity in heaven by our own abilities at all. You see in, in Romans chapter 5 verse 6 where we're told for when 
we were still without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were without power, when we had no strength, it was at that time that Christ died for us. And so when you, when you picture all these, this great multitude that's there around the pool, they're just there and, and, and unable to help themselves, unable to do anything to make it so their particular state is changed. And they're waiting. Um, Harry Ironside wrote in his commentary about this particular passage and he, he talks about how this relates to just mankind in general and he talked about how he would take kids from his church down to the beach in San Francisco on, um, on Washington's birthday and one day they went and there was all of, of this wreckage that was coming up on shore and they were trying to figure out where this came from. They found out that a, a, a great ship called the Rio de Janeiro had, had crashed um, that evening there in, in, in the San Francisco Harbor because of the fog. And there's hundreds of people who drowned in, in this incident. But he tells a story about an American journalist, a young, a young man who was on the ship. And when the ship crashed, the man broke both his legs. And he's there and, and, and he's just in the water, unable to swim unable to do anything. His legs are broken. He can't even attempt to go towards shore. And he just laid there just floating all night, waiting for someone to come. Floated and, and legs are broken, unable to kick, unable to do anything. And hours and hours later, a rescue party found him. Ironside says that in this story, you see a marvelous picture of God's grace towards sinners. Um, some swam for hours before they were picked up, strong and hardy men. Others were drowned. But this man had no ability to swim, and he was helpless, yet he was saved. No wonder Jesus told us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. You, you picture this man, and that's us, unable to do anything. Here's this man in this particular account, and, and we're told that, that he's there, and he's been in this condition for for 38 years, um, 38 years, had this infirmity. 38 years, and he's been in a, in a place of laying on this bed, going to these particular pools and, and, and laying there. Jesus is there, and there's this great multitude of people, but Jesus specifically goes... And finds this man. Goes and finds this man who would seem to be one that's in the worst of conditions. 38 years of being there. The disciples don't appear to be around. Jesus isn't recognized by anybody else. There's all of these people that are around and Jesus specifically goes and finds this man. And he comes to him, and he says, do you want to be made well? It seems like a, a silly question to ask somebody that's been paralyzed and laying in a bed for 38 years. Do you, do you want to be made well? Certain questions that, that you don't ask when um, you approach somebody. Um, certain questions that you don't ask, like what I did when Tasha was in labor with Jonathan, and the doctor said, do you feel any pain after the epidural? Do you feel any pain? And she's like, no. So I said, can you do this three more times? It, it wasn't good timing at all. Like at that particular time, it was not good timing. And she, she gave me a look that made that very clear. Like, don't ask me that right now. Questions that seem obvious not to ask. That, for me, was just a rookie error. But... Do you want to be made well? The man doesn't seem to respond in, in a way that's um, where he's offended or anything like that. Jesus is, is coming to him and specifically meets him, looks at him. Do you want to be made well? The man responds by saying, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. 
but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. You you look at this, and it's just heart-wrenching to hear the man's response. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. 38 years I've been like this. 38 years I've been in this bed. 38 years they drag me. Someone drags me here, but there's no one that cares for me enough to stay with me, to put me there in the, in the water. You would think that if it was any one of our family members, there'd be somebody that would say, like, hey, I'll go with you. We'll be the first ones. We'll lay you right next to the, the water. As soon as it stirs up, we'll, we'll huck you in. You know, like somebody will do it. Like somebody will be there. You think there'd be somebody that would love them enough to say, like, hey, I'll stay all day. I'll take a day off. I'll spend it with you. I'll be here. I'll wait. Let's wait. We'll be the first ones. We'll make sure we're the first ones. But he, he just says, I, I have no one. I don't have anybody. There's nobody. And not only that, but um, while I'm coming, while I, I throw myself off my mat and I'm pulling myself with my hands, while I'm trying to get to the pool, There's always somebody who steps down before me. There's always somebody that makes it into the water before me. And you see in this man's response, just him looking to his own abilities to fix his situation. Looking to the world, the people around him to fix his situation. How am I going to be made well? Well, there's no one here to help me. There's there's no one. There's no one to put me in the water. Maybe it is that, that after 38 years of being in this bed, he just was a miserable man. Maybe it's nobody wanted to be around him. Maybe he complained so much that he, his family wanted nothing to do with him. His family was just fine to, to take him there in the morning and lay him down and just to leave him there all day and then come back later and have someone come and bring him back to the house at night or maybe not sometimes. But it appears that there's... No one close to him at all. And he's looking and saying, I, I, I drag myself. I try to drag myself down towards the water, but there's always another person that steps in before me. And Jesus responds to him by saying, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Here it is that the man's looking to Jesus. I just want someone to put me into the pool. If someone could just pick me up and put me in the pool as soon as the water stirs, then maybe I'd have a chance of being made well. And Jesus just looks at him. Rise. Just rise. Take up your bed. And walk. The, the, the man could have looked at him and just thought, like, well, that's a crazy thing to ask me to do. I can't. I can't walk. I can't do anything. I can't, I have no ability to rise and to take up my bed and walk. For 38 years, my legs have been withered. They can't do it. They can't, my joints don't move like that. My, I, can't, I can't feel my legs enough to do that. I can't do that. And yet Jesus gives him a command rise, take up your bed. And walk. And we see here the man responds by doing just that. He immediately is made well. I, I, I look at this and it's just, it, it, it must have been just the most incredible scene, huh? You picture the, the man's legs and, and you, you, you can imagine them just, just withered away. Um, I think of, of, of people in, in, Africa sometimes that we meet who um, had polio or whatever it is that has made it so that their lower extremities just don't work at all. I, I think of one young man that we have grown to, to love who serves in, in Mitigo and um, uh, there are saints here in, in America that help buy him a little bike that he could pedal with his hands to get him from place to place and uh, he just he serves the church so faithfully and he's there at everything but he just has his hands now and, and no longer dragging himself through the village with his with his arms he just moves himself on this little particular bike 
but I can imagine, I can picture in my head just as any of you can, someone who, whose legs are, are, are withered away to where it's just skin and bones. Hasn't been able to use them for 38 years, and all of a sudden, the muscle is restored. All of a sudden, he's there, and he can move his feet. His joints have totally been repaired to where he sees it happen. He feels it happen. He stands up and walks. There's another account similar to this in Acts where Peter and John go up to the temple. Um, and there's... Um, a man that, that, that is there just asking, begging for alms. And Peter says to him, look at us. So the man looks at him and, and John and, and, and Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And it says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat begging for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They knew it was him. And here he is, just walking and leaping and praising God. John, in our particular account here, doesn't give us the same kind of details that were given in Acts. But I doubt that the guy receives strength, rises up and, and, and takes his bed and says, hey, thanks, appreciate it, and walks away. There, there had to, I mean, none of us would respond that way. All of us would be feeling our legs and moving our ankles and jumping up and excited and doing whatever. I mean, we would be ecstatic to, to think, I'm walking. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that with these multitudes of people this man who had been there 38 years had to just have the most incredible joy in his heart as far as, I've been made whole. I've been made whole. My legs are working. Standing up, taking his bed. I mean, he has just relied on people. He's relied on people for 38 years to get him from place to place. Apart from dragging himself along the ground. You think of the country that we live in with handicap accessibility for, for, for many people. Um, and although being handicapped still can be incredibly difficult here, I, when I go to third world countries and look and, and see the condition of handicapped people, they, it, it, it is so hard for them being in a place where there, there are no ramps, there are no sidewalks that, that they can walk on. There's no bathrooms that they can use easily. It, it's a circumstance in which you're just totally dependent upon others. I think of, of being in, in, in Sudan and, and there's people that get what's called river blindness there. And, and it's, it's, it's caused by these, these worms that, that go in your eye. And, and, uh, and in time, the worm gets to a place where it... Um, it, it lay so many eggs and there's so many worms that you, you go blind. We had a, a doctor that was with us that um, was, was there and, and he got one of those worms in his eye. He said that, you, you know how like you look sometimes and you can see like little water molecules? I don't know if you can, but I can. And, and you, you look in the, the, like towards the sun or something, you can see like little things on your eye. He said he was looking and it was kind of like that, but he could see something going like this. Right across his eye, just squirming like a worm. And it was, it, ah, you know, it, it, like, and then he was told, like, well, we don't kill it. We, we make it so that it goes sterile, so it can't reproduce. So it will die off, but it'll take some time. And I don't think that was the response. I, I would just say, like, can you just put me under until it does die and make it so I don't see that thing go across my face again. But when people get that there, you'll see that the, the, these older men, and they have a, a stick, and, and there's always like one of the little grandkids, one of the little kids that just walks with them. And they, they hold one end of the stick, and, and they walk, and wherever they walk, the guy follows. And so he holds the end of the stick. And you'll see throughout the village people just walking around holding the end of a stick and a little child holding the other end of a stick and, and helping them get from place to place. 
But you can imagine for this man, he's just been totally dependent. I mean, just, I need someone to help me. I need someone to help get me food. I need someone to help take me to the pool. I need someone to help take me to the bathroom. Can someone take me to see a friend? Can someone take me to my bed? Can someone help me in every single thing that he's doing? And all of a sudden, he is able to walk. Fully, completely cured. Not partially, fully and completely cured. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. This is the kind of God that we serve. It's not a matter of does he have the ability to heal. He always has the ability to heal. And there's sometimes in this life where he heals, and there's sometimes in this life where he doesn't. Sometimes he heals and sometimes he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength's made perfect in your weakness. But it's not a matter of ability. Here he just says the word. He doesn't have to say, well, quick, let's get you into the water. He just says, rise, take up your bed and walk. He gives them very specific instructions. Rise, take up your bed and walk. So the man does just what Jesus says. John puts something that's in there, though, that's important for us to see and it is and that day was the sabbath that day was the sabbath rise take up your bed and walk and that day was the sabbath for in scripture in exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 it says remember the sabbath day to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is the sabbath of the lord your god in it you shall do no work You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. It's a day of rest. Well, we also see in Scripture that it's something where you're not to carry a burden during those times. And so the Jews had all kinds of laws that were around this. They would take the law, don't carry a burden, rest on the Sabbath day, and they would make it so that um, there was all kinds of ways to, to make sure that you kept the law. A burden was you can only walk a certain distance from your house. And, and, and so you had to make sure you never walked more than this many steps away from your house. But they had all kinds of rules that were set up. If you went and ate someplace else, if, you, if the day before you knew that you had to go this many thousands of feet, then just go set up meals in certain areas. And as long as you walked and you, you ate a meal there, then that became your home and then you could walk another however many steps. And so there's all kinds of rules as far as carrying a burden and what that was. Um, If it was a handkerchief, you couldn't carry it. If it was pinned to your clothing and a part of your clothing, then you could carry it. And so there was all kinds of rules. I mean, just incredible volumes of details of what it was to obey the Sabbath and how you would keep such a law. And so Jesus specifically tells them, take up your bed and walk. Well, the Jews, therefore, in verse 10 said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. (laughs) Imagine the state of the religious leaders at that time. Here's a man that has been lame for 38 years in a bed. In a place where he's unable to move, his legs have withered away. The guy's legs have been made whole. He gets up. He is ecstatic. I mean, as far as like, I can walk. Look, you guys, it's me. I can walk. And he goes, and there's these religious leaders that are there. And they look at him, and they see him walking and carrying his bed, and they said, it's a Sabbath. All they could care about is, it's the Sabbath. Why are you carrying your bed? That's way more weight than a handkerchief. That's more, way more weight than you're allowed to carry. You're not. You're breaking the rules. Rather than rejoice as far as this man's been healed, they immediately go to, but you're not keeping the rules. You're not keeping the rules in which have been set. The man answers him and says, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said, you take up your bed and walk? The man who made me well, he just told me, he told me, take up my bed and walk. I just did what he said. I I obeyed him. 
He made me whole. He made me able to walk. I obeyed him. We look in, and even in the church, you find this legalism that is there. In Galatians chapter 5, we're told from the Lord, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. Those of you who are trying to put yourself under the law again, under the the rules and the regulations as far as i got to keep every part of the law, saying, you make it so that Christ will profit you nothing. Why, why would God say that? The reason is it's because you find in Scripture over and over again that Christ fulfilled all of the law. He always did those things which pleased the Father. Always. You think of our righteousness, and, and, and when you picture Christ, you see him, and he has fulfilled all righteousness. He's kept the law in its entirety. He's kept it perfect. And so when you think of our salvation, what's happened is Christ has taken all of our sins upon himself as he hung on the cross. Every sin that we could ever have committed or ever will commit. And he takes his righteousness and places upon our account. So when we start putting ourselves under the law like these men did and say, you're walking, but you're breaking the Sabbath. God would be looking and saying, Christ came to free you. Christ has come to make it so that you have received grace, you have received mercy, you've received righteousness that's come from him. If you want to try to keep a little bit of the law, then you better keep all of it. You're a debtor to the whole thing. Point being is, we're not a debtor to all the law. As Christians, it is the most glorious thing for us to be able to look at what Christ has accomplished for us and to be able to look and say, like, he fulfilled it all for me. He fulfilled it all. When you start getting to the place of, okay, I shouldn't go to church because I'm just struggling with this area of my life, or I, I shouldn't pray because I'm struggling in this other area of my life, or, or you get to a place of, like, well, God's, you know, he, he, he must be in a place where he just wants me to do these things, and if I don't do these things, um, I, I, I'm not going to be okay with him. We, we, we put ourselves under the law over and over again. For us as Christians, we should be in a place of, He's forgiven me of all of my sins, and he sees me as perfect. I, I think of this frequently. I, regardless of how I live, I know that he will never see me as more perfect than he does today. When I've been in heaven for a million years, without sinning, without the possibility of sinning, at that particular point, God does not look at me as more righteous than he does right now, nor does he look at you as more righteous than he does right now. The reason why is because you have a foreign righteousness. You have Christ's righteousness that's been placed upon your account. He sees when God looks at you, he sees his son. To me, that's just incredible. These guys are in a place of you're breaking the Sabbath. Well, we're told that The man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn um, a multitude being in that place. He didn't know who healed him. He knew that he had been healed, but he said, I don't know. I don't know who it was that said, take up your bed and walk. In verse 14, it says, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you. As we look at this, we look and we see God specifically going towards this man who had been lame in a bed for 38 years. He tells him, take up your bed and walk, but there is a very specific purpose in which Christ was going after him. It was to bring him to salvation. You see that, that this man takes up his bed and walks and Jesus finds him in the temple. 
I think that's appropriate to, to find him in the temple because he goes from the place of being condemned by these religious leaders that weren't happy that he was carrying his bed. But he goes from there and it would insinuate that he goes there to just worship the Lord. I've been healed completely. And he goes there and Jesus finds him there in the temple. Jesus specifically goes from this multitude of people to find this man that he had just healed. He tells him, you have been made well. Been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. I don't believe that Jesus is saying here, you've sinned, you sinned 38 years ago and that's why this came upon you. Um, sin no more so that you don't get a worse ailment later on. The, the verb that's used here where it's, it's sin no more is in a tense of, of, of being something that's continuous. Not saying you sinned 38 years ago, now don't sin anymore. He's saying, in essence, no longer continue in sin. He's talking about his current sin and his life. Jesus brought complete healing to the man's body as well as to his soul. And his point is, go your way and sin no more. We find this in Scripture. You have healing. You have been made well. The man's faith is such that it is placed in Christ. Now, sin no more. Don't continue in it. Be in a place where you stop. Don't continue to live in this life that you have been living in. Follow me. Lest a worse thing come upon you. And we see in Scripture that God makes it very clear that Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Make a change. We see Christ calling him not only to follow Christ as his Savior, but also as his Lord. I think this applies very much to us here this morning. You look at your life and you you hear the Lord say, Do you want to be made well? Do Do you really want to be made well? Just like he said to this man. God makes us well by the grace of God. He does this incredible work in our lives, changing us who are blind and makes us able to see, us who are without any power or without any strength, and he brings regeneration to our lives. He saves us. He takes hearts of stone and makes them hearts of flesh. He makes us new creations in Christ. He does this in us. He saves us. But then the response would be, so sin no more. Don't, don't continue in it. It's a possibility for us as Christians to be saved from our sin and then to continue in a life where we don't treasure him. He's not precious to us. We don't hate our sin. We just continue in it. Here he's calling the man to stop doing what you have been doing. You're a new creation. Change. Follow him. For us, as we look at these things, I think it's important for us to take account of our lives and look and say, are we doing things to make it so that we hate sin and we don't want to continue it anymore lest the worst thing come upon us? I encourage you to take it seriously when you look at sin that's in your life. You think of people who are just addicted to pornography. Make it so that you have accountability. Talk to somebody. Say, I'm struggling with this. Make it so that you only use your computer in front of people. Make it so wherever it is that that you are struggling, you make it so that that's not a possibility anymore. Think of what it is that causes you to sin and make it so that you don't do that anymore. 
Look at it and say, like, okay, well, this is where I sin. Well, okay, then I can't go to that place. I can't do those things. I don't want to sin anymore. If he has made me well, I don't want to reap what I sow and have it be where worse things come upon me. I want to be in a place where I'm just obedient to him. And I take up my bed and I walk and I do what he calls me to do. And I just follow him completely as my Lord. For us, we have to do that. Um, if we're having problems with anger, looking and saying, God, help me in that. Before you walk into your home, rather than going inside and seeing a mess or whatever it is and just exploding on everybody, pray before, God, help me. Help me to go in with the right mindset. Help me just be a blessing to my family. Help me to, to do this. Keep yourself from some Have accountability that is there. Know what it is that makes you fall and run from it. As a soccer coach, one of the things that can be the greatest struggle for me as referees. Um, they drive me crazy sometimes. And so if you ever come to one of our games, you will see when the referee makes a very bad call. Um, what I have to do is I need to walk on the other side of the track. And I do that sometimes. I should do it more frequently. Because I know, like, okay, if I'm over there, it's less likely that I'm going to say something that he hears. And so I want to keep my witness. And there, there's been times where I've had to call a referee up, like, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I should not have said that. And it's not, I'm not cursing at him or anything like that, but I, there's, you know, my lines are usually like, come on, you're better than that. You're such a good referee. How do you do that? You know, and, but I hate it. Like, I look and I think like, oh, that's why I have to sit down because I know when I stand up, that's when it doesn't go as well. And, there's ways in which I can think about it beforehand. I, I honestly, I pray that God help me to be a good witness today. Help me to be a good witness. Like help me to keep my, my witness today when I'm out there. Looking at our lives in general and looking at every area, where, where do I sin? How do I fall? How do I listen to Christ's command? He just made this man whole, makes it so he can walk, but his specific command to him is, okay, don't continue in your sin. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Surround yourself with people that will hold you accountable. Surround yourself with people who will call you and say, like, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Have you fallen? Are you struggling? There's not one person in this room that doesn't need that kind of accountability. There's not one person in this room that doesn't need that kind of accountability where you have people that are around you that are there to minister to you and to care for you and to ask you hard questions. We all need it. Well... The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. Look in. We find that in response to seeing Christ and what he accomplished, these particular people look at him and say, we need to kill him. I mean, if you, if you, if you look at the heart of man and you see the wickedness that's in it, here they are in such a place that they are so self-righteous. We keep the law in its entirety. They're so self-righteous, we keep the Sabbath. We've made rules. We've established grounds that you can't carry things. And they've totally missed Jesus. It's not just that they missed him, though. They look and they say, who is it that made you well? Who made you able to walk? Who made it so you could take up your bed and walk? The guy comes back, it was Jesus that did that. And immediately they go to a place of, we need to kill him. We need him gone. We need him who is messing up our system of all of the rules and all the regulations. We need him gone. Rather than being there and saying, he must be the Messiah. These are like these people who are sick and blind and lame and paralyzed. And they're there waiting for the Messiah. But they have no idea that the Messiah is right there before them. They have no idea. They're so blinded and so hardened by their sin that 
they look and say, okay, he just made that guy that's been lame for 38 years able to walk. How is it that we can get him? Let's ask him about taxes. Should we pay taxes? We could corner him in that, and you hear Jesus' response, render to Caesar what is Caesar, and render to God what is God's. Well, maybe we can catch him in another way. Let's, let's take this woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. Let's bring her, let's, let's see what he does with her. Let's make it so that the people rise up against him. Let's make it so that we can turn him over to Rome. Let's make it so that we could do something to get rid of him. And you see that hatred that starts here with the Sabbath and him allowing this man and commanding him to take up his bed and walk to where that hatred for Christ grows further and further and further to where he's in a place of a bag over his head, punching him over and over again. Prophesy, where's this hit coming from? Crown of thorns, mocking him, king of the Jews, whipping him, eventually to a place of give us Barabbas, crucify Christ. And you look at it and you see that they hated the idea of Jesus commanding a man like this, rise, take up your bed and walk. And in faith, he rises, obeys Christ, take up, takes up his bed and walks and follows Christ. He hates, they hate the idea of anything that would go against their human system. Our salvation, brothers and sisters, is all of grace. It all comes by faith, and it's all of grace. When you look at this particular man, he's saved. He's healed. He's saved. God does an incredible work in his life as well as in so many others. And his calling upon the man is, follow me now. Sin no more. You'll reap what you sow. You don't want to do that. You don't want worse things to come upon you. You, There's things that are way worse than you being in a bed for 38 years. You don't want that. Don't sin anymore. Follow me. And I pray that we would look at this and say, this is where I want to be. I see it, what it is that he has saved me from. I was, like, I was like that guy. For however many years I was there laying in such a state where I was unable to do anything at all to, to, to earn favor with him. My eyes were blind. I couldn't do anything to, to get myself down to that pool. I couldn't do I, I was I was helpless. And he came to me. He came to me. He asked me if I wanted to be made well. Commanded me to believe and to follow him. The gospel came to me. And I followed him. And now I don't want to sin anymore. I want to follow him. I want to depend on him. I want to live for him. I want fruit to come from my life. I want to be a good and faithful servant in whom he's well pleased. I want him just to radically change my life. I love him. However horrific this man's condition was of being in that bed for 38 years, we were far worse, weren't we? In a place of unable to please God, unable to live for him, deserving the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and to think that he's clothed us with robes of righteousness, he's taken away all of our sins, he's made it so that we're new creations in Christ. You look at that man's legs and you can picture those little tiny legs with the skin and bones there and them being made strong. And you think, wow, this is just a radical transformation of what took place. Brothers and sisters, what God has done in us is far greater than that. You look at what God did with Lazarus when Lazarus was there in the tomb and he came to the point of decomposing and stinking to where Jesus says, Lazarus, rise. And he rises again from the dead. The condition of going from decomposing to being made alive again is still far greater than what it is that God has done for us. He has saved us. Whether you can see legs being made whole or not, you have had a heart that was stone that's been made a heart of flesh. You've been made a new creation. You, you had eyes that had no desire for the things of God and God has made you able to see and able to long for the things of God and he's given you the Holy Spirit in you to make it so you both 
will and do of his good pleasure. He just changes you and he's molding you. He's conforming you in his image. He's made it so that you who were an enemy are now a child of God and you who once were in darkness are now in the light. You who are going in direction of eternity apart from him in hell are now by his grace spending eternity with him in heaven as a part of his family. And I look at that and just think like, God help us to be in a place where if that man, like the one in Acts, rise and jumped up and left and was praising God, we have far more warrant to do that today as those that have been saved from our sin. I pray that that would just mark our lives. And if you're in a place of just habitual sin, listen to the Lord this morning. Go and sin no more. Don't sin anymore. Don't continue in that habitual sin. Have some fear of God. Don't you know, like, worse things can come upon you. Be in a place of just pursuing righteousness, loving him. Um, It's a far better place to be. Amen. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this account here in the book of John. Thank you for the way that you saved that man. The way you sought him out and you commanded him to take to rise and to take up his bed and to walk and how you sought him out later at the temple. Lord, you've done that for us as believers. Lord, you may be doing that to somebody who sits in our congregation this morning. They're in a place where they're, they're trying to get help. They're trying to pull themselves by their hands to get down to some type of water for some earthly healing. And yet you have the ability this morning just to say, no, stop. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. May today be the day of salvation for them until where you just radically, radically change them. Bringing them to salvation. Causing their eyes to be open, Causing their hearts to be changed. Lord, I I pray that you would do that in anybody's hearts here this morning who are yet to know you. We love grace. We love that sheep gate in which you walk through as our Passover lamb to be slain for us. We love that we can come to you and find grace to find help in our time of need, to find mercy I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see what it is that you have saved us from. That our hearts might just be ignited this morning to praise you, to give thanks to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.